Judy, you're there. Uh, Hello, Giles Paley Phillips. Are you taking a sip? I'm here. Something? I just had a little sip of water. Did you hear me? Yeah. Oh, do you know what? I had a really nice drink today. Oh, we God. had a we cocktail. Got, well, I just, <laughs> no, no. Um, just some, just some sort of sparkling water mm. and some lo- fresh lime mm. and some some lovely lamb's mint from the garden. Oh, that's nice. That's very refreshing. Very refreshing. You know what you need to do to that later is drop in a little bit of vodka and that will be perfect. <laughs> Not for me though, because I'm teetotal. Oh, you're teetotal, aren't you? Can I have a little bit? Can I have a little You can have you a little have minty vodka. vodka. I'd quite like that. Just one, <laughs> sort of as a sundown. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. Forgot about the old teetotaler thing. Never mind. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah, so you, right, haven't, don't you haven't drunk for how long now? I haven't drunk for 22 years. Well done. That is good. Because your dad was an yeah. alcoholic. So people might be listening to this podcast, which is a little bit of positive and going, this isn't a very mm. positive conversation. But I would disagree because I think mm. what you did was you recognized a problem within your family, which you saw. You saw your dad drinking. You recognized in yourself, actually, this isn't good for me. And you stopped it. And I think that is a very positive thing to do. And uh, I'm going to say, well done, Giles. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. No. And do you know what? It's one of the best things I've ever done, actually, give out alcohol. It, it really opened my eyes to new, a, a new way of living. Mm. And, um, and yeah, I, I, I've only gained since, since that day. So I, I, it's one of the best things I've ever done. That's brilliant. I have stopped um, drinking as much alcohol since I've had children. People will be here glad to hear. But, but you know, <laughs> you, you want to be fresh and you want to be, you know, you've got to be sprightly and you need to be on it in the morning. And that that doesn't work well if you've had even one too many glasses of wine. You're fuzzy headed, aren't you? It's not. Yeah, it's not. absolutely. So it's, yeah, children has been not my, I'm going to say saviour because I don't think I had a huge problem, but it certainly has changed my lifestyle. I think. Yeah, well, they do that, children, don't they? They, they change do. the way we do things and how we, yeah, how we are and how we act. So, yeah, they, they're, they're amazing for that. They yeah. really put a perspective on things, don't they? I was asked about that in an interview this this week, and I and I think I said, just as an off-the-cuff remark, I said, I think my children saved my life. And she said, oh, what do you mean by that? I said, I don't mean in a big dramatic Oh, I was, or I was suicidal or anything. I just, they, they do. Children have for me, and we don't want, for people who haven't got children, you don't have to have children to have a fulfilled life. But for me, they really have refreshed my outlook on life and made me live in a different way, in a very, in a, in a different positive way. Yeah, that, absolutely. Yeah. And same for me and, and same for my wife. Yeah. We both, yeah, they're amazing, amazing things. Children, amazing little humans. They, they are, they are. Yeah, very lucky. Um, I'd like to tell you a little story, actually, that I've been reading about this week. Go on, then. Yeah, it's it's in Spain. Mm-hmm. Now, during lockdown, obviously, we've seen we've a lot of us been getting in touch with our gardens and plants, and we've been seeing, you know, verges growing up and wildlife kind of springing back Flourishing. into life. Flourishing. Yeah, and it's been lovely, hasn't it? And so in Spain, um, as a little thank you, 
to the plants. Thank you um, to the plants. A, a thank you, yeah, thank you for the plants. An opera house mm. has been putting on um, a performance of Puccini's um, concerto, mm. which is called Chrysanthemi. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Just say it with um, a just say it with an accent. It'd be fine. No, no, no. I'm not doing <laughs> accents. You can try. Yeah. Anyway, they've packed out their opera house with two thousand two hundred ninety-two potted plants. Yes. In all the seats, in all the stalls. Because, of course, people uh, can't go and sit there. So they can't, course, play, exactly. they can't play to a human audience. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah, and so they've, they've been doing this and they've been performing to the plants, which oh, sounds, which, yeah, it sounds a little bit wacky, but actually it's a really, really powerful message, I think, to just to sort of say thank you to nature. I've got a quote here from Eugenio uh, Ampudia, who is the conceptual artist. Yes. Um, he's basically the brains behind this. Yes. Some people are calling a strange idea, but I, I think it's quite good. And he said, um, at the time um, when an important part of humankind has shut itself up in enclosed spaces and been obliged to relinquish movement, mm -hmm. nature has crept forward to occupy those spaces. Nice. And we have seeded. So he's, yeah. you know, so there's this idea that, you know, that nature has come back in a big way. Yeah. And, you know, and um, yeah, and, and, and we're part of this biological cycle. And and we want to, you know, it's basically a way of saying thank you to these things that, you know, keep us alive. Trees and plants, they create the, the air we breathe and we should be thanking them. And also it must have been wonderful to play. They are living organisms. So yes. you are you are playing to an audience when you're playing to all of those oh, plants. Wow. I I want to see the photograph from uh, from the stage looking out onto all those thousands yes. of plants. That is a brilliant. There, there are pictures online, you can Google it. I'm gonna Google. And, yeah, and the nicest thing actually as well is that each of the plants was then donated to key workers and health workers um, oh. as a show of appreciation. The story just here. gets better. Yeah, so it's creative, it's, it's inventive, it's beautiful, it's caring, it's got a heart and there are plants and it's music. I love it. Yeah. Good story. Thank you for that. Yeah, it's lovely. I just thought I was really, really, really warmed my cockles. I'm sure it's warmed our listeners' cockles as well. <laughs> And as ever, you have you've created just the most beautiful magic segue moment for me to lead mm. to our guest today, because plants and music collide with our guest, Patrick Toe, today. And this is the reason why. It's time to talk to him. I have been wanting to say this all day. Ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you to Mr. <laughs> Pat Toe. <laughs> Hello, hello, Pat. I love your name. Hello. Hello. Yeah, it's it's um it's 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 quite unusual, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I had someone recently um drop a message and said, "I oh, it must be you working there." The because there can't be two two Patrick Toes at Net, uh, and it was yeah. There cannot <laughs> be two Patrick Toes working at Net. And there are, I don't I don't think I've ever met I don't think I've ever met a uh, a Mister Toe before. Um, and I would like to start by asking the question, Giles Paley Phillips, Patrick mm. Toe, how do you know each other? Well, how do we know each other, Pat? Well, well, I can go first. Yeah. Well, so Pat and I play in a band together. We've been playing in a band together for some 20 years or more. It is. Even. It is. Yeah. 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 Who plays what? So Pat plays drums. Uh, <laughs> I play guitar. And yeah, we've played in, well, two bands, I would say, together, really. Yeah. I think we had, yeah. so Pat answered an advert many many years ago to join a band an old band that i was in called little 10 and um yeah and we've been obviously playing together and friends ever since so yeah well, so that's friend, that's kind of how, uh, a bit perhaps but um, 
<laughs> bandmates I like to refer to. No, no, no. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay. Bandmates. Don't get too personal and close, guys, whatever you do. <laughs> so, Pat, how how have you, the rocker that you are, um, how have you ended up working in some, in one of the most magical places I think it must be on Earth, which is NEP? We should tell us the whole story about NEP, but first of all, how did you end up there? I was working on a much smaller estate, um, not very far away from NEP, um, on the Wood Gang. And um, and I'd worked there for 17 years, not very adventurous. I just sort of, uh, I like to plod along do, doing what I do. Um, and, and during that time, um, I, was, I was playing in a band uh, with, with Giles. Um, and we were trying to do that as a, as a full-time thing, but it never, never quite worked out, as, as it often doesn't. Um, and and the, the estate that I was working on was uh, it was it was it was due to be sold, and it was kind of for about two years we were in this limbo of, of it not knowing whether we were going to have a job at the end of it, and and we were living in uh, accommodation there, and um, and my girlfriend at the time, who's um, my wife now, um, we we wanted to get married, and we were wanted to start a family, and just having that, just having that, you might just get married and have a baby, but then we might be making you redundant and kicking you out, so we were. I wasn't looking to move under pressure. Um, yeah, yeah. There was it was it was a it was a kind of like that important time in your life when all these these big things are things are changing, and um, and I was working weekends with a um, with a guy, and and we came and we did some did some work at NEP, and he said, "Man, you you've got to." Uh, and this would have been two thousand and eight, I suppose. Um, and he said, "He said you're going to love this place." He said, "There's just like." I think we were going there. We were putting some water pipes in or doing doing something rather. We were, um, doing something and um and he said there's just like these massive pigs and cattle just roaming around and i'm like <laughs> really i'm like that just sounds ridiculous anyway she went up and we, and we did this thing and we, we did this um we did this job and it was looking up from like a polo pitch up towards the castle over a lake and it was just like man this is beautiful absolutely beautiful and um and he said he said oh he said they're, they're actually looking for someone and they've asked me whether i know anyone um if, if, because there was someone, someone having to retire, and um, he said you wouldn't be interested, though, would you? And I said, well, do you know what? I might be actually, um, yeah. And so he said, well, I'll, I'll, um, I'll give you the estate manager's number, and um, and he uh, he phoned and, and we chatted a bit, and he said that you know, Ant um, speaks very highly of you, um, so we'd, we'd be really interested to um, to sort of sort of interview. So I, so I went along, saw the estate manager, but but I went, we had a drive round. Um, yeah, because because I worked with trees and arborists and all, I knew about plant succession and um, uh, and, and and things like that, and, and I had a lot of estate skills. And so Jason was was uh, the estate manager, was very very pleased. And then I went home and I thought, well, you know, that's fine. I maybe the next the next day I get a phone call, number I didn't recognise, voices. Hello, uh, Charlie Burrell here. Jason's uh, very pleased with you. He said, um, "Izzy and I would like to meet you. Could you come up to the castle tonight?" Lisa, we That's should right. say that we should say that Izzy and Charlie are are the owners of the Nep Estate. So this was the boss man phoning you himself. Uh, yes, that's right. That's right. Um, so I said, "Yeah, yeah, of course I can come tonight. That, that'd be fine." Um, I said, where, "Where should I come to?" And he said, "He said, oh, just just come in, come into the castle in um, through the door under the clock tower, and we're in the kitchen." <laughs> and I'm like, "You're joking." Uh, <laughs> All right. Um, okay, so I toddled up and I kind of like toddled went, up to the t- castle. <laughs> yeah, and I kind of just opened the, knocked on the door, and it's like, uh, hello, uh, hello, hello, and a couple of dogs come <laughs> running out, and then just hear this, 
we were in the kitchen, Pat. And I was like, okay. So I came in and I took my shoes off and I wandered down the hallway and then I could hear them talking and I, and I came through and then they made me a cup of tea and we sat down and we watched, um, there's a view out over the lake and we watched a, a herd of Exmoor ponies uh, running past. Um, oh. And, and we, just, we, just, we just sat and chatted for two, two hours, something like that. Um, and it, they're, they're wow. just incredibly interesting people. I'm so knowledgeable. Um, and I have to say that because they'll be listening um, when this comes out. Uh, no, not really. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it was just it was just bliss. And I thought, oh, man, this is this is really nice. Uh, and yeah, and we we got on very well. Um, I left. I went home, and I'm kind of like, oh, me. Um, and then the estate manager phoned me a few days later and said, "Well, Charlie and Izzy really like you." I said, "Okay." He said, "What are we going to do?" And I said, "Uh." I said, I suppose you're going to offer me a job and I'm going to accept it. And, and that's kind of where we are. And then we, yeah, we, we, um, we, we handed him a resignation, which is a bit of a shock to, to place I was, that I've been at 17 years. And, um, and I, I, I started, we moved into a new house and, um, and I got given a pair of Land Rover keys and a, and a massive map and just went, there you go, mate. You'll probably get lost a few times. And, um, and I haven't really looked back since. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, Pat, what was, what was that? What was the first kind of things you were doing when you when you first started there? The role that I was taking over was. It's, it's, I hesitate to say farm because it's it's not a farm, um, but but it's it's got a lot of a lot of what I do here is is based in farm work. Um, there's a lot of farming activities. There were a lot less cattle then, um, and so mm. there was there were two herds of cows um, because the, the estate split split up into three blocks. So there's there's three three separate herds of animals. Um, and there's, there's a, there's a wonderful guy called Andy Meadows, um, who I'm, I'm very good friends with. Um, he looks after, uh, he, he's the farm manager for Charlie's uncle and he looks after one of the, one of the herds of cattle. And so he, he very, very generously and to this day, very generously, um, took me under his wing and taught me a great deal about cattle because I knew nothing about cattle. So he, he shepherded me was, uh, is the wrong, wrong phrase, but, uh, but he, he, he really helped me out and just like, until I could stand on my own, he kind of really, um, really sort of looked after me. Mm. Um, and then, and then the cattle has become a much bigger, um, bigger part of the part of my role. But it was it, there's lots of things. I, so I do, um, I do chainsawing, I do fences, I do tractor work. Uh, I have to look after the um, the lake level. So we've got a, we've got a, um, a lake that's uh, kind of like a technically classed as a reservoir. So you have to um, there's a thousand year flood rules you have to um you have to kind of adhere to um so i have to i have to go and make sure it's in in the rainy season rainy seasons that um that it doesn't doesn't get too high and all that kind of stuff so i do all sorts of all sorts of stuff and the job has just just moved and moved and moved we've got more cattle more animals um and then it's become much more of a stockman role really i suppose you have long horn cattle there yeah yeah now am i right in thinking that it used to be arable and dairy previous That's, to yeah, the rewilding it, project yeah it um it's it's a three and a half thousand acre estate which is it was a massive lump of land for, for west sussex or anywhere in the south mm. really um to be owned by one one sort of family um yeah and it was it was sort of originally there were lots of little tenant farms on it um and there was there was about four or five dairies they had a sheep sheep dairy as well they used to make ice cream from from sheep's milk um and all sorts of stuff like that um and they, they would have arable and grassland um and then, then the dairy's just um, due to all sorts of 
some regulations and bits of problems. It wasn't 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 worth renewing and keeping them going. So um, it wasn't so, working. No, it, no, it, uh, it was all right. But the you know the farm manager at the time. I mean, this is kind of like obviously what I've been told. This is sort of the eighties. You know, that farm manager would come along and say, "Oh yeah, look, you know, it's all changed. We need to change the milking parlour. You know, it's going to cost two million quid." And it's just like, I just don't think it's not viable. Business-wise, it's just not viable. So they, they, they pretty much stopped the dairy and and they kind of, they contracted out quite a lot of, and so they arable, uh, did a lot of arable work. Um, but it's it's a it's a rotten bit of dirt, most of NEP, for, um, for for growing crops. You know, it, they had a couple of bumpy years, but the rest, they were struggling to break even. So Because it's heavy wheeled clay underneath, isn't it? It, it's it is. It is not it's, great. Not great for farm. No, I often t- often tease Charlie about um, what his ancestors were thinking about um, picking a bit, of, bit of <laughs> like this. Um, but it's yeah, it's I mean, Clay's Clay's got a lot of uh, redeeming factors. Um, working on them agriculturally is not one of them. It's um, it's mm. like dusty concrete in the summer, and it's like a bog in the winter. And there's about two weeks between those two yeah. seasons where you can actually get on and do something in a vehicle. <laughs> it's all right, yeah. But we must just mm. explain why NEP is this special place, because where it's ended up and what NEP stands for and what it does now is genuinely incredible, isn't it, Pat? It, it is, yeah. Um, so so Charlie was, um, it's kind of, kind of where we were leading to, really, I guess. Um, Charlie and Izzy were, um, they were doing arable production and they were getting very disheartened with it and didn't, didn't want to do it. Um, and then they had a few epiphanal moments. Um, one was talking to um, uh, a lovely, lovely man called Ted Green, um, who's telling him about um, ancient veteran oaks. And then they also went to um, to Holland. Um, and I'm going to embarrass myself trying to pronounce it. The Ouse uh which is a big, big nature reserve, which has just been left to um, to go back to, to nature. And they went and saw that. And that, on the way home, this is this is how the story goes. They said, Man, maybe we should. Mm. Maybe we should try this at NEP. Um, so they 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 phased out all of the um, the arable and 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 but in in blocks they they ring fenced areas, took all internal fences out, and started introducing grazing animals um, to see how um, how grazing animals would manage the land um, and and kind of ultimately I suppose um, trying trying to get back to before man started mucking about with 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 the land so so just just letting animals and and what the different animals do with their different mouth parts and their different feet um do to do to the land um so they so they eventually over, over many years they 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 um, phased out all the arable and they've got three blocks now which are ring fenced and all the internal fences taken out um and they've got uh we've got herds of english longhorn cattle we've got ex herds of exmoor ponies we've got um Tamworth pigs, uh, we've got red deer and we've got fallow deer to, to rep- represent all the, um, the native grazers that would have been would have been around before uh, you know, many many years ago. In simple terms, this is taking the land back to the way it was, and and the what you what you guys are doing at NEP is really working with nature rather than working against it you're, you're working with the complexities of it and, and all the animals that are there and everything that has rewilded is as a result of this quite revolutionary way of going backwards 
if that makes yeah. sense. Can you be revolutionary and, and go backwards? I think you can. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think, I guess you can. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it, it's, it's amazing to see how, um, I mean, the, the three different blocks are quite different. The, the the block that's around the castle has, uh, is a Repton Park restoration project. So so that's got that's that's not slight, that's not so wild. Um, it looks it looks like um, still it looks kind of like parklands, you know, with uh, big veteran, veteran trees and um, and uh, lots of grassland and deer and, and cattle and ponies on it. And that was that was reseeded with a with a wonderful um, wildflower and grass seed mix. Um, but of course, the the grass uh, the grasses took over, and the second year the wild seed wildflowers had all gone. So in the north block, when they when they reseeded that, they just did a grass mix, um, just a sort of native grass mix, um, and that's that's kind of that that looks very still much like Parkland. But in in the in the southern block, um, which was much later, um, that was just when the when the um, combines left for that last harvest, they just didn't do anything with the land. So it just whatever was going to come back. Was what would naturally come back and there was a there was a vegetation pulse of before animals came in while we were getting the fences sorted out there was um the vegetation was just allowed to to do whatever it would do and and that's that's incredible just seeing different plant species coming back and the way they the way you know lots of how should we say wild wildflowers sort of the thistles and the ragwort and and docks and stuff they they kind of like come through and they 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 go on all this bare soil um but then it all just it all just changes you know it's it's unbelievable i, I haven't the um uh botanical or the um all the invertebrate knowledge and stuff to 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 do justice to how how much stuff changes i mean it, it to, to the untrained eye you you look out and it there's there's lots of brambles and lots of blackthorn and and um thistle and, and all sorts of stuff and wonderful grasses all sorts of stuff that um and it's just it doesn't really uh it doesn't do no, just what you're, i think what you what you're saying is this there's so much that you can't see that's changed because i know this I've, I've i've read um isabella's book isabella tree's book wilding which which we've mentioned and she talks about this and writes about it in length and it's been so well received and she talks about this this huge rebirth like earthworms all of these earthworms that that yeah. have come back um the invertebrates that you mention um the the uh, the fungi uh, the soil quality, all this stuff that you can't really we that we just if looking out wouldn't necessarily see. This has come back in; these things have come back in in great abundance, and yeah. have just changed the nature of the soil, haven't they? And the land in such a such a such a huge way. Um, yeah, it, it's it's really just been this incredible project. It has. I mean, yeah, I, we um, Charlie and I were doing something. Uh, couple of months ago and we we happened to pass by as you do a well-timed uh, cow pat that, that just been like an hour probably only an hour old and we just I said look look and we we got down our hands and knees with our noses virtually in this cow pat and there were hundreds of dung beetles just just little dung beetles flying in to 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 make to make use of it and it's just incredible you know you don't get that where where you have where you have uh, pesticides and, and lots of chemical use and and it, it does take a while for that kind of thing to come back but but come back, it does. Yeah, and uh, like you say, the, the earthworm. And it's important, and- isn't it? 
Can you tell people how important it is? You know, dung beetles, I remember doing a story on Countryfile years ago with an Oxford graduate and she made dung beetles her study. And, yeah. you know, all of her all of her peers were laughing at her going, what are you doing? And she went, you don't understand. The dung beetles are the things that are sort of like refertilizing the soil. They're so yeah. important. They're a sign of health. <laughs> she was so yeah. so excited by by poo and dung beetles. Yeah, I, it's... Um... It is fascinating. It's, it's, it's one of the many things that I don't know enough about, and I, I will eventually get around to, um, to to educating myself. But um, but yeah, it's it's a sign of um, sign of uh, of great um, uh, great invertebrate populations, um, and and like you say, they literally they they sense the cow pack, they fly to it, they get in amongst it, and they bury it. And so they're taking all of that goodness into into the soil, um, which is obviously a very obvious plus. Um, what also it does it reduces the cow pat, um, so it means that you get less bothersome flies, um, which would then bother bother the cattle. And it also means it, I mean it's not not so much for us in the rewilding project, but but for for places that um, that have more um, sort of grazing systems with paddocks and stuff. You know, if you have a if you have a cow pat that doesn't disappear on your on your land. You know, your animal, nothing grows under that cow pat for for quite a long time because it's it's so so heavily um, covered, and so the animals have got less to eat. So um, so if that what you want that cow pat to to hit the ground and then go into the ground and then it be it be yeah let, let the dung beetles do their thing yeah yeah I mean they're, they're wonderful wonderful things yeah yeah and there's so many different types it's um, yeah like I say I'm mean, just 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 beginning to 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 wake up to them really. Isabella says in the book, she says the depletion of topsoil is so severe in the UK that in 2014, Farmers Weekly announced that there are only 100 harvests left in the country. And that's why that's why we're talking today, because this is really important stuff. Soil quality, something that probably most of us never really think about. I mean, I probably do it more than I should. <laughs> but um, we need healthy soils. All of us need healthy soils to carry on growing our crops. And we need our pollinators and we need these insects. We need the dung beetles. All of this stuff that is tiny, tiny, tiny um, is incredibly vital to, and it sounds dramatic, but to our survival for our food. Yeah, this is yeah. what we need. For, for sure. Um, and there's, uh, I mean, there's, there's, a big, there's a big movement in America um, called uh, regenerative agriculture um, and and that's uh, quite a lot of them either refer to themselves as soil farmers or carbon farmers um, and it's it's basically um, it's trying to mimic what what would have happened uh, with with um, large-scale herbivores like bison and stuff um, back in the day back in the day before they were slaughtered um, but they would be running around in big herds and they would be predated on so they would they would be in very tight knit bunches because obviously you're safe in numbers and the ones in the middle are safest of all. Mm. Um, and so the predators would control where they eat, and those 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 um, those bison would be they would be heavy concentration, so they would be eating everything, not just cherry picking the the best bits. There'd also be high concentration of dung and urine, and then they would move on, and then they wouldn't come back to that place. And that's that's how they that's that's why in the prairies they used to have like. I don't know what it was, six foot, ten foot of, of topsoil. Um, it was it was crazy, crazy goodness. 
Um, and regenerative farmers are doing that. They're mimicking with, without having packs of wolves and bears chasing their, their cattle around. They, um, they put them in, in high intensity for short duration in paddocks and move them around. So you get this incredible um, regeneration of, of soil. Yeah, because without soil, we're, we're knackered, aren't we? And that's kind of what you're doing with the longhorn cattle and, and the pigs and stuff. They're all, they're all there for a purpose. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. I've, I've done some wonderful, uh, lots of stuff, wonderful stuff on YouTube. Um, but there's there's some there's uh, there's some wonderful uh, things about regenerative agriculture, uh, particularly sort of Greg Judy um, on YouTube, and and that you can really see how how it's 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 great for the cattle and it's great for the for the um, for the soil. And all. Yeah, I mean, with us at NEP, it, it's it's slightly different. We've got um, you know, we we carry. Uh, we have to we have to control our stocking numbers, and um, the way we the way we do that is is we look at the winter time, and we work out what their body condition score is in the in the depths of winter, um, and what available forage is still left for them. So we don't feed them at all uh, unless unless there's a welfare issue or the snow or something like that, and so that that dictates our stocking density. But then you've you've got this issue where even though they're on a large large area of land, you, you've you've got a you are containing them they are they are contained so so whereas they normally would migrate we need we need to keep the numbers the numbers down so it's 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 a it's a wonderful kind of balance of trying to keep you you, you wouldn't want to overgraze and uh, so you, you've, you've got you've got to get those you've got to get those numbers right um, and we're constantly just just tinkering with them and and different having different numbers of deer sort of, uh, of in a year might 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 impact on how many cattle we've got to have and um um, yeah, so I've got to be quite strict on my numbers going towards the winter of, of what what I would um, uh, of, of the herd size for sure. So it's not easy. It's it's a difficult balance to to get right. You you you're, you're tinkering yeah, with it all the time. Yeah, it's it's and it, but it makes it, it makes it fun. Uh, you know, we're, we're always just sort of like we're you know just yeah just we're just tinkering. Just we're we're, we're pretty much there. And then we just as as the as the animals have been. In their blocks, particularly in the southern block, where they where they're really bossing the foliage around and 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 the, and the forage, and they've adapted it because of the way they eat and the way they walk and they poach the ground, that then encourages certain plants and discourages others. And so, so they've as time has gone on, like I say, uh, the southern block was you know, started in two thousand and nine. You know, it, it can hold a lot more animals now because it's 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 much greener in the winter. You know, they've they've, they've stamped their mark on 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 the land, you know, and continue to do so. Have you been, Giles? Has Pat give, given you the once around? Well, I was just about to go um, to say, actually, that um, one thing I've noticed about the livestock when I've been, actually, and I have been very fortunate to go several times to Pat's place of work and to and to be in his hospitality, and we've driven around in his little Polaris, which is which is very fun to have a go in. Is the is how calm the livestock is? It seems very calm, and I know. We talked. We've talked before about Bud Williams, who was a sort of um, legendary stockman, and I know you had to do lots of research on him, Pat. I know you were sort of yeah. handed hours and hours of footage um, of, of his work, but uh, it's something that struck me very much. So that the livestock are very calm um, and not phased at all. Yeah, we um, we used to we used to um, we used to round the, round the cattle up because I mean even even though we kind of we want to do as minimum amount we have to do them as possible, um, you still need to get them in for TB tests and. Um, for management issues and things and we would do the traditional thing where we'd all get on quad bikes and um we even we started going on horses and all sorts of stuff and it, we would we'd be chasing them around and it, it just wasn't working and i'd have to say no 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 stop 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 you know this isn't this is you know you're just riling the animals up and that's not not what we wanted at all and and we discovered this uh this guy called bob williams who's an american 
he's dead now um not cattle related i don't think and he <laughs> <laughs> not mown down by a rogue cow <laughs> he um he have, he advocated for for many years um low stress handling of, of stock um of, of many species not just cattle sheep deer elk moose mm. i mean anyone that knows anything about deer will tell you you cannot herd them you know it's it's a recipe for disaster and he could and he had video evidence where he would he would just move them around and he would use he would use um all animals have got a flight zone domestic animals probably haven't because they've lost it but if, if you if you're wandering in the countryside and you see a deer you won't be able to get within 100 meters of it because you've entered its flight zone and its flight zone is 100 meters and so it will move away you know and then cattle probably because they're used to maybe a farmer or whatever they'll have a flight zone and if you get to within 20 feet they'll start to move that that kind of thing and he his system mm. was that depending on where you stand and how you move you can make the move in a direction um and it really is as simple as that except of course it isn't as simple as that but wow. it is at the same time um <laughs> and 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 we've been practicing that for and practice probably is the right word um for about five years now um and he his widow sells a um a hard drive of 45 hours of of videos um and they're very informative but they are a little bit tedious as well and and it's, it's very it's very difficult i i i we we did a few where we would all the relevant people would go up to the castle and we'd have a bit of supper and we'd watch a few hours and then we'd, we'd sort of go away again and then charlie said you know what i think you've just got to slog through this pat so i so i, I did and I, I was making notes and i was thinking okay well i can go through all this and then if I make notes of the chapters and the and the minutes on it, that's great. So I was copying it down, and of course, any like any anyone should know with a house with um, two young girls in. Um, when you come back and you look for that notepad, and you say, "Where's that notepad that I made all those notes on?" Oh, I don't know, Dad. <laughs> it, it, it all gone. So that forty-five hours of me oh, going through, no. it was like, "Oh right, I'm just going to go outside and kick something." Uh, so it was like, oh man. But anyway, so I, I, I gleaned enough and then I managed to find this book which kind of sort of consolidated it all down with with um with the with the um with the Williams's blessing. And and we've we've and I've taken that and we've just trialed and errored really. And and going back to Giles's point, it it what it does is if, if you're handling so so we've gone from like running them around to just two or three of us going out on foot and we just we just move the cattle around on foot very quietly. And it's just you just you just walk behind them. It's like walking a dairy herd in, you know. And they're I'm doing inverted commas wild cattle. You know, they're they're um, you know almost all of them are, yeah. are home homebred. And it just it just it, it, it extrapolates on. They're they're just if you move them like that, they're very quiet. And and because how busy we are now, and how popular we are, you need animals that are going to be well behaved around humans. Yeah, you, you just and and if you're working with animals, you want them to be calm. You know, you don't you don't want all that all that unnecessary excitement of, of animals chasing around and being leery, and and it's it, and it's really really worked. It's it's been it's been such. A, I've, I've said to Charlie a couple of times, um, I'm going to have mastered the Bob Williams techniques by the time I retire, and I, it's one of those things <laughs> where you just you just you're never you, you're never going to stop learning. You know, we we just we take it, and it, it's really nice. I've got um got a nice young man, Lawrence works works with me now, and it's really nice showing him what to do because he's asking me questions. I'm like, Yo, well, I don't know the answer to that, mate. Come on. Um, and it really tests you to really back up what you're doing. He's saying, why are you doing that? And I'm like, I'm not really sure, but it has this effect. And then I know it's the right thing yeah, to do. Yeah, and it, it, it just really, really makes you have to be sure of what you're saying um, and, and doing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a 
very, very fun part of the job. It must be just so lovely. It must be so wonderful when you're gently moving animals in in a field or in grassland or wherever you are to be able to just do that and sort of you're wandering about it must be a proper moment of mindfulness when you're doing it something is like it's that. it's it's lovely and it, it like i say it, it 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 kind of moves out to to you know they trust you a little bit more you know um i don't want to put sort of human feelings to them but um but they do they do trust you and they're much calmer and steadier and forgiving so when when you're at times when you when you're carving and maybe um, quite a common thing we have uh, seems to be this year anyway was you might have a calf that hasn't drunk you know and they've got to get that important colostrum otherwise it, it, it upsets the rest of their life pretty much um, and so we we just we walk out and we we get that calf up and if they're close enough to to sort of a handling system we'll, we'll just get take the cow and the calf very quietly and we'll walk them walk them in and then once you quite often, but in and in that five or ten minutes it takes you to walk them walk them in, you can you can get a really good feel for how the mum is, you know, whether she's just being, you know, just caring about her thing or she's flighty or she's a little bit little bit protective. And then once you get them into an area, so not even an enclosure really, but um, you can just get them into a corral. By that time, you you kind of know. And sometimes the, the amount of them that they're just wild animals that they'll let you take that calf and put it on the teat, just you kneeling by them. It's it's unbelievable. It's it's um mm. it's 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 great. You know, some of them you think you you're bringing them in. You think, yep, this one we ain't doing in the corral. We'll just because she's you know she's protective. You know, the calf's, <laughs> yeah. calf's only like you know six hours old or something. You know, it, it it's fair enough. And and that's that gives you that time. So you know you know that you know she's been a little bit. Mm, I'm not really that happy, but I'm I'm going to follow along. Um, and then and then you can do it. And others you just think, ah, oh, you're fine. You know, I've, we've, we've done it. My favourite cow in, in, the, in the Southern Block, she, she had twins one year. And um, the beauty of twins is that you get two calves. The unfortunate thing is you can tell that she's been drunk from, but you can't tell whether both have been have drunk. Um, and, and just in the middle of, oh, in the yes. middle of nowhere. Tell me about it. Yeah. I've had twins. There you go. So in the, middle of, in the middle of nowhere, it didn't even bring her in. I just picked the calves up and I took them to her and I put both on her. It, it was just unbelievable. You just think, Oh my god! And it worked. Yeah, it's just oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's um, it's lovely moments like that. Really, really, really make, really make it. It's it's um, it's a beautiful thing. Pat, if I told you that you had to uh, get a job tomorrow in an office and you'd be sitting down at a desk for six or seven hours a day, how would that make you feel? Generally, generally, I would not like that at all. If I'd had a particularly um, wet day of being in the rain or um. Or digging holes or doing something that wasn't particularly enjoyable, I, I might I might be a little bit more open to that. I, yeah, I know I wouldn't I wouldn't do it. I'm, my my dad when I was he was young he's, he always worked outside, um, still does, and and he was like oh I could never work in an office, and of course he just, uh, and so I used to walk around going oh I could never work in an office, and and I haven't um, <laughs> just copying him. Yeah, yeah, um, but I, my my job does does require with animals you got there's, there's legal paperwork and um, we have to do inspections for. Um, we're organic, so we have a soil association inspection, and um, we're members of the pasture-fed livestock association. And so there's, there's lots of inspections, lots of paperwork to do. There's all sorts of stuff that I get involved with, which which means that maybe three or four hours a week I, I'm in the office, and that's that's absolutely fine. That's that's lovely. I, I'm not a luddite. I, I can I can just about work a computer, and yeah, I, it, it's fine. Yeah, I, all day long, every day. No, no, thank you. No. Giles, how much time do you think you spend outside a week? So. So Pat spends three or four hours a week 
inside. It's probably the, the opposite. <laughs> well, funny enough, we were talking about this before we came on air, Julia, yeah. and I were talking about this very thing. And I said that even though I'm, you know, I do predominantly work inside, I do have to get out at some point in the day because I just yeah. need fresh air. Even if it's a horrible rainy day, I still need to get out and just be out in nature yeah. and be outside yeah. because, yeah, I think it's we're not <laughs> we're not designed to be indoors all the time. No, we're not. I, I think we're all we're all we're all there on that one. I would go absolutely bonkers I've interviewed people actually over the years who I remember working on a um, it was a a rehab uh, charity for um, addicts alcohol and uh, drug related uh, addiction Mm -hmm. and part of their therapy was to get those people outside and working with people like the National Trust and the Wildlife Trust and getting them to spend time outside and the number of people that I spoke to the the um what do we call them? The patients, the the clients of this particular charity, who basically said that the outdoors and doing this kind of stuff—they were clearing away, they were creating woodlands, they were growing things. They said it saved their life. Spending wow. that time outside, yeah. Yeah. it just changed their whole perspective on everything. And and there was one guy who'd never ever, he'd never, I don't know what his what happened to him long term, but he'd never been off drugs for longer than six months, and he was into his eighth month when I interviewed wow. him. And that was the longest time he'd ever been yeah. and he put it all down to being outside and, and every day helping him with his with his therapy and his rehabilitation yeah it's, it's very important yeah, it's isn't amazing, it? it's I, I, I find um i mean even at, even at the weekend if i'm if i'm not i mean i, I normally because of animals i've got i've got the odd thing to do at work but i generally i like to go outdoors and do something and just even if it's just to feel like i've earned my dinner you know just just go and go and do something and then yeah. i think anyone anyone with kids knows that if you're indoors all day long you'd be like Right, we've got to go outside. We've just got to. And I'm like, we don't want to go outside. Yeah, come <laughs> yeah. on, we're going outside. And you go outside, and yeah. it doesn't matter if it's a horrible time. You come back in, and you're like, ah, right, well, that was unpleasant. But um, right, we're all refreshed now, and we can yeah. go back to doodling or colouring in or whatever you know, whatever we were doing with playing. And um, yeah, you've got to get out amongst it. Yeah, you? but they're always better after it, aren't they? The oh, kids are sure. always better for after sure. that spell outside. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, you soon learn that, don't you? Got to get out. Yeah, 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 definitely. Pat, so you've been at Net since 2008 you started. Yeah. How how much of a change have you seen? And is that change is rapidly moving forward every year, year on year? Or is it still uh, a steady incline of change? I think it's a steady, I think it's a steady incline. I mean, we do, uh, there's an awful lot of um, survey work done by um, Penny Green, our ecologist um, and, a, and a team of, team of peeps so they they actually catalog uh, and catalog the change yeah I, it, it's it's very gradual it, it it does change but all of a sudden you think huh that willow thicket i never used to be able to even walk through that and now i can sort of ride a quad through there and it's it, there's grass coming underneath it there's, there's all sorts of stuff changing mm. um trees are getting bigger and um it's uh yeah i mean there's some big there's some big things like big species that that come back turtle doves and nightingales and purple infant butterflies and cuckoos and all sorts of stuff like that which are which are really good and um easy to to sort of hang a hang a flag of it up and go yeah look look you know this is a, this is a massive thing but there's lot yeah there's lots of incremental stuff that just just sort of like you think oh oh yeah look at that yeah pat can i ask you about um chemical fertilizers you can i won't be afraid to you. say i don't know but yeah go on I'm just, um, I get into quite a few Barneys on social media with farmers. I'm very pro 
farming and the outdoor world and the outdoor life, but mm-hmm. I'm very anti-chemical fertilizers. Mm-hmm. And I always get into this this Barney with farmers who go, well, how are we going to feed the, the world population then if we don't have fertilizers? What are we going to do? Mm. Um, because there is this, it's, there has, I think, oh, since chemical fertilizers were introduced after World War II, the the supposed green revolution, as it was called, ironically, yeah. to introduce chemical fertilizers to stimulate the growth of plants. Um, I think it's fair to say that a lot of the farming community has become quite addicted to fertilizer because it is a it is a quick fix. It does, you know, chemical fertilizers can they can help you grow crops faster yeah. because they get rid of all the pests, yeah. all the pests and all the insects and um, you know, they and and it does stimulate quick growth of plants. But although now there's a lot of research showing that it's changed the the structure of the the very structure of the plants them, themselves, yeah. and there's an argument that a lot of our fruits and plants are less nutritious now than they ever used to be yeah. because of this. Yeah. What is when when I have this argument with farmers, and I know you're not an expert, and you'll say I don't know what what do I say to them when they say how do we feed the world's population without chemical fertilizers is this just some utopian dream or or is it possible my god that's a hell of a question um i'm not sure i can answer that it's it's an interesting one uh rewilding uh is is quite quite an incendiary phrase to some people um and they say how can you how can you feed the world you couldn't feed the world with with rewilding and and i i, I guess that's probably true because you, you, you know the reason the population has managed to swell is because we've intensively farmed. Whether we're healthier for it is, is, is debatable, obviously. I suppose I'm just sort of calling on your ex, your experience of, of soil. And I know it's something that, that um, Isabella is very passionate yeah, about as well. It's, um, uh, that, that, you know, there are ways, there are ways to work the soil, aren't there, without, without using chemical oh, fertilizers. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I, but, it, you know, the ground needs, ground, the ground needs, plants growing in the ground need need to be fed um and if you're not using chemical fertilizers it needs to be natural fertilizers which is dead plant debris and uh and manure and so you need animals regenerative agriculture is 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 a very good example of being able to you still need a lot of land but you can produce probably more you can certainly produce more meat than you can from rewilding um whether whether you'd still be able to match the um quite incredible when you look at it amount quantity. of yeah, quantity quantity of food that in, intensive farming creates i i, I don't know I, I i could i really couldn't answer that to you i i don't know if, if i had the well, answer we, to that we I'd throw probably... away we throw away a third of the food that we produce so yeah. my, my argument with with uh, a lot of these people is it's not necessarily it's not about producing more and more and more food because if it was just about the quantity we wouldn't be so wasteful and be dumping a third of the food that we're producing it's about the food systems isn't it surely and about the distribution and we just have to get a little bit clever about it yeah yeah for and look at it in a more holistic way yeah yeah i mean i mean food waste is um there's probably not a single one of us that couldn't say that we don't ever chuck anything out you know one tries to eat as much as one can and and when you think that everything that you have to chuck out has been grown somehow or other at some point in, in its existence mm. um yeah i mean it's, it's frightfully wasteful I, yeah i mean if, if you could cure that I, I just people are so ingrained in in being able to buy cheaply from the supermarket and just everything's disposable um it's 
I, I, I don't think we can get out. I mean, I, I find myself still guilty of, of, of you go to the supermarket and you think, you know, I, I look at, you know, I look at uh, uh, the cheapest chicken in the world and you look at it and you think £2.50 for a chicken. How on earth is that right? You know, and I wouldn't dream of, I wouldn't it dream of buying that. It. Yeah, yeah, there's all that and it's it's not, you know. But then still as a little part of me when, when I go to somewhere else and you think, £15 for a chicken? My God, because for years, you know, you, you're used to going to the supermarket. But that's because you're comparing it to the... Yeah, it, it's, um, it, it's so ingrained in us that we want, we want cheap things, you know, and we all work really hard for our money and, and you've got to make it go a long way. And so that's that's half the... I can't remember what any of the figures are, but there was, there was something like 40 years ago, I, I, this is all arbitrary and guessing, but it was something like, you know, 40 years ago or 50 years ago, people spent a third of their income on food and now they spend a tenth. It, it, it's, it's probably not that, but it's it's something like that. And you think, well, yeah, there you go. Mm. If we're all spending a third of our income on on food, then you know we would be buying high welfare stuff, and we would be, I don't know, not not so choosing carefully. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, but I don't know. It's it's not the world we live, is it? It's um, you know, people can't afford to buy buy their own home, let alone spend a third of their money on food. <laughs> Don't know, don't know. Beyond beyond my little brain, that is for sure. <laughs> not a little brain. Maybe not. Mr. Toe. Maybe not. Pat, it's been lovely to talk to you. It really has. Um Good. I know I get to talk to you quite often, but obviously yeah. Julia doesn't. But yeah, it's great to you know, I'm always um and as we had sort of said earlier, I I've I've been to NEP a few times and I'm always fascinated. I often get to go out when um Pat's counting counting cattle um, <laughs> we all got and, to have a um, hobby. and i get to ask lots of questions <laughs> yeah yeah um and um and it's fascinating and i'm just i you know it is it's a very very special place as a visitor i know you you know you live on site pat so it's, you yeah. know you're probably more used to it but it, it is an amazing it's an amazing place i mean you get to take and we've been around with the children there's tree houses and stuff you can go and yeah. um, sit and look at view that sort of viewing spots isn't there around yeah. around the estate which are which are, yeah. which are a wonderful things so you can just go and look at across this state and look at the deer and the and the pigs and everything. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a very very special place. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, thanks for coming on to talk to us about it. Because, pleasure, um, pleasure. Yeah, I think you're doing it. You're doing a vital and important job down there. So it's it's amazing. So uh, yeah, you are, and you're living the dream. That's what I love about your story. Yeah, you're living the dream. It's, it's you're great. Doing the job that you love in in a, in a beautiful place. Yeah, I, I mean to to be able to bring. To bring up a family in 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 this environment is is um it's that's unbelievably special to be honest with you it's just just to have you know you know my oldest daughter whether she'll do it ever or not but she's like oh yeah i want to be i want to be a college sit net just like penny um and you know that's kind of the aspiration wow. that she's that she's got and you think okay well yeah okay well you're going to need to start getting up really early and going doing um, sort of like Dawn Bird course <laughs> uh, surveys with Penny and, and doing that, and she's like, uh, "Yeah, maybe, maybe." Um, yeah, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful place. It really is a um, beautiful place to work and and to bring children up. I can't wait to I can't wait to come and visit. Pat. That, I can't wait. Yeah. Now, Pat, before we go, I I, I um, before we go, I did sort of pre warn you that we were going to ask you about um, our, our happy jar. So we have a, yeah. on the podcast, we have a happy jar. This was something that Julia does at home with her family and they put their happy thoughts and it could be a place or an experience or or meal. We've had mm-hmm. today, we've had lots of different ones, haven't we? We've had sensors, 
um, smell. Yeah, we've had sounds, smells, tastes that you can put a taste in the happy jar. Huh. It's just something if you opened it up and read it, it would make it make you smile. Something that would make you feel happy in that moment if you were having a bit of a bit of a downer. Uh, okay, I would probably say our summer holidays at um, at Salton Sands in North Devon. That's uh, that's that's pretty pretty special for us. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay, so Devon and the place and the family holiday that's yep. going in the jar. Yep. Well, let me make. Uh, my second one, a work-related one. So, one of your animals? Yeah, I, I was going to say um, probably one of the nicest things is, is just watching when when all the calves are a big bunch of calves together and they, they get they get crushed. So like the the mums all dump all their calves with with a couple of cows and then they all go off and have a bit of a bit of a laugh and you just see them mooching about together and and they gamble around like lambs and just you know, kick their legs and they're finding their legs and they're running around um, and just just. That's that's a beautiful thing to see. That's that's a very happy thing. Gam- gambling carbs. Yeah, that's yeah. a good one. Yeah, it's it's, it's um. That it could be the name of the podcast. There you go. Yes. There you go. Yeah. Uh, and one, right, more one, back. More. one more. One more. One more. Um, I would say. Well, it's probably 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 to end it on on how we started. It's, it's probably um it's probably playing playing music in a band. It's um that's 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 a very nice thing to do. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd end on that one. It's very a good. good very good for your mental health as well, guys, what you're doing, playing a musical instrument and Absolutely. having an outlet for it. Yeah. I cannot play a musical instrument, uh, but I'll, I I sing sometimes to myself in the shower. Awesome. And you dance, Julia, don't you? you do. And I dance. I do my bad mum dancing and bounce on the bed a lot. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, Pat, thank you so much. They're all excellent choices for the for the happy jar. I definitely put in playing in the band as, as my one of my choices, so... Yeah, that's good. We're both on the same page with that one. Super. I haven't heard you yet, gents, so I don't know if I would put it in my happy job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you probably wouldn't, no. Thanks, Pat. It was great talking Super. to you. Super. Pleasure. Bye-bye. Well, there we go, Julia. That was Patrick Toe, who is my very, very good, very, very close friend, Patrick Toe, um, who is um, Stockman, and he also is farm manager at... NEP, although as we've discovered, NEP is very much not a farm in the traditional sense. No, NEP is this wonderful estate in West Sussex that has uh, allow, allowed itself to be reclaimed by, by wilding, mm. by wilding it up. It's the most fantastic project. It really is. And I think it's interesting because what they're doing there has thrown up a lot of questions about the way we farm and we uh mm. we we are stewards of the land all over the world and yeah. i i've read isabella tree's book as i've said and let's end on a positive she does ask lots of good questions in her book what she says is that britain now has got a chance to rethink because we she thinks and this is quite controversial she says like let's start by consider considering removing farming and fishing subsidies altogether and Let's really think about whether or not you we should be rewarding people for doing nothing more than owning land. So there are there are people out there who won't like those those questions. But what I like about what she does ask here, um, and I'm reading from page 307 of her book, she says, of specific concern to biologists is that by rewarding ecosystem services of purely human benefit, biodiversity could lose out. What economic system would ever put the long-term prospects of the water flea or the, or the ant 
at, at the top of it. But indeed, biodiversity itself could be a proxy measure for ecosystem services. So thinking holistically like this, rebuilding systems with natural processes rather than setting endpoints and measuring function as much as outcome could change our whole relationship with the land. Wow. Such powerful words, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, I mean, lots and lots of questions. And we really have reached mm. the point in, in our world where we are asking these questions and we have to. And uh, I know that, that this is a positive podcast and, and we don't want it we don't want people to be feeling anxious when they're listening to this. And, and mm. it's something you talked about, isn't it? Eco-anxiety is something that we, yeah. we suffer from these days. But I think what NEP is and what the book um, Wilding does is it asks the uncomfortable questions. It talks about the inconvenient truths. But, it, but there are suggestions. There are solutions. There is, yeah. there is a different way. And it's within our grasp to, to make these changes. Yeah, and we're seeing something that's working, and it's working very, very well. Yeah, yeah, really is. Yeah. So I love Pat, and he was so modest. And I'm sure you, had, I'm sure you had to persuade him hard to to do this chat. Um, but he's he is very modest. He's a very, very modest man, and uh, yeah, and but I know he takes unbelievable pride in what he does, and I know he's very proud of um, all the work that they do at NEP. And yeah, yeah, it's a real privilege to go there when I've been there a few times, and it is real privilege. Yeah. Well, very a very positive man and a, a very positive mm. podcast. I think we've I think we've checked the box today, Giles. I think we've we have done absolutely. it again. We have, and we should say this is number eight of the first season. We, this is the last episode of the first season. Oh yes, it is. It's gone so quickly. It has, but we are going to be back. We will be back. We've got more lovely discussions lined up. We've got lovely people lined up for uh, series two. We're not quite sure when it's going to be yet, but you can re-listen. You're you're so busy, Julie. You're going to be off. Walking around the country. I, I'll be doing more filming, but I will always have time to fit in a little bit of positive. <laughs>